0: If you don't subscribe to our Women's Performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Hi, Feistias. Okay, for some of you, this might be a long-awaited episode because I've been teasing it out on my social media for a few weeks. But today is the day that I am talking to Christine Yu, who is the author of Up to Speed, The Groundbreaking Science of Women Athletes. And essentially, the book basically takes stock. Like, it does what all of us female athletes and active women are are needing right now, which is cutting through the bullshit to figure out what is the real science? What is the good advice? How much do we actually know about female athletic performance? Um, Or even exercise physiology as it relates to female physiology? And what do we not know and therefore can ignore all the terrible ads we get on Instagram? (laughs) Um, So Christine set out to essentially take stock of the science and writes very much in, in a very readable format what it is that we need to know. Christine is also an award-winning journalist. She writes about sports, science, and health. She loves storytelling about the intersection of sports science and women athletes. Her features, profiles, and essays have appeared in the Washington Post, Outside Magazine, Runner's World, Family Circle, Self, Eating Well, Vice, and ESPNW, amongst others. Christine and I talked not only about the book itself, but about the process of writing and the things that surprised her the most, the things that made her angry, as well as the things that she's looking forward to the most, having done this kind of stocktaking on where we're at in terms of the science of women's performance. The book is available on May 16th, which I believe is the day after this podcast is released. And it's available anywhere you can buy books. I know you can also pre-order. If you can't wait or you have a terrible memory like me and you think I will not remember this tomorrow, then go to Amazon right now. You can pre-order and it will be delivered to your door. So I hope you all enjoy this wonderful conversation with Christine.
1: Good morning, Christine. How are you? I'm good, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're here at the book Up to Speed,
0: The Groundbreaking Science of Women Athletes. I've been I've spent most of the week kind of looking through it, trying to read as much as I can in the few days I've had it. But when can folks, you know, I have my copy, but when can folks start to buy it?
1: Yeah. So it comes out
0: May 16th. Okay, so pretty soon. So this episode, I believe, will come out um, on Monday, the whatever next Monday is. Um, so they'll be able to buy it pretty quickly after yeah. that. Yeah. Cool. Um, and what I found really is that like the book is kind of a well-needed summary of where sports science is today in terms of female physiology. And that's something that like at Feisty, we also try to like cut through a lot of the BS because there's a lot of like crappy information in the women's health and wellness space. Did you find that as you were doing your research that you had to cut through like some, maybe some crappy research or maybe some like information that we have as women, that's not so
1: great. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, what you just said is is really the reason why I wanted to write the book too mm. is because um there is such wide variety of information, right? Um, but more more than that, I feel like we get fixated on specific ideas or conditions, say, like the female athlete triad, or, oh my gosh, women, you know, suffer from ACL tears more than men. But it kept it felt like we kept cycling through these same issues over and over and over again, And we were never really getting anywhere with that. Um And it made me think, like, well, why is why is this happening? First of all, right to women and active girls, um, but more than that is I really want to try to bring together all of these topics. Almost under one umbrella, if you will, right? Because, like you said, there isn't really a good resource out there. You know, I think, you know, Stacey Sims did such an amazing job with Roar to really bring all of these issues to the surface, but it's often felt like <laughs> it's Stacey's book, right? Like, and, and there, that's it. Um, so, wanting to try to help expand that conversation a little bit more and look at what is it that we do know? What is it that we don't know? And 100%, there's, you know, the quality. There's a lot of really interesting research out there. There's a lot of incredible scientists who are doing good work. Um, but yeah, but there is a lot of, qual- you know, difference in quality of those studies too. In large part, I think because, you know, it's still a really young field and we're still trying to figure out a lot of these things in terms of methodology and protocols and definitions and all of this stuff, right? That then makes these studies comparable, you know, from one to the next. So that we can then draw some conclusions.
0: Yeah. Did do, do you have? Did you have a moment? You know, I can remember. I, I had a very specific moment where someone told me about the book Roar, where it was like with Stacy's book, where it was like, okay, oh, actually, we can look at female performance from the specific lens of female physiology, and we haven't done it. We haven't done it very much in the past. Did you have a specific moment where you kind of had like an aha, like, oh, this is missing?
1: Yeah. So. Uh, I remember it was back in, I want to say 2013 or 2014, I was at this event. It was a magazine, a women's magazine event. And I think it was like, a fitness magazine thing. And they had like brands, right. And like demos and they also had panels. And so one, one of the panels that they had, or one of the speakers that they had was, I believe it was Dr. Jennifer Ashton, who's, you know, a physician here in, in New York. And she was talking about the female athlete triad. And this was like really the first time that I heard someone like name it, right. Um, growing up, I had always heard about, Oh, if you don't get your period, that means you're training hard. You're really fit. I um, Also, you know, knows, you know, so many folks who have struggled with eating disorders and disordered eating, right. But never understood the connection between those things and then how that could affect bone bone health, like not only in the present, but future bone health and cardiovascular health and all these other things. And it just like, it was one of those moments where I just kind of stopped and was like, wait, what? (laughs) Like, why don't we know this? Like, why don't we know why this is important? And it seems like this is something that, you know, as a teenager, right, would have maybe been helpful to know and maybe would have like, I don't know, I would like to think that it might have altered how I approached, you know, sports and nutrition and just Things in general. If I knew how everything—not how everything, but just how some things work together and everything was linked, right? Um, rather than just thinking of, oh, the my period and my cycle are just this thing off in the corner that only comes into play because I don't want to get pregnant right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I found the um, the history chapter to be really interesting. Like, I did my PhD in ancient history, uh, women's history specifically, so completely different, but like. I, you mentioned Elizabeth Drinkwater and that original research on the female athlete triad, but it was funny to learn like that prior to that, there had been like almost no research. And then just like these couple women in the 1800s, the late 1800s who had done this research around like, um, yeah, around like, oh, well, wait, do we really need to rest during our period? Like, why did we assume that,
1: you know, um, was it, were you surprised when you wrote that chapter? Oh, a hundred percent. And I will say like, it is very likely too, that I've, I've missed stuff in between or there, there, you know, it is very, I'm almost positive, right. That there have been amazing women and other scientists who have been looking at this. But one of the things that that chapter really brought out to me too, is thinking about um, who has the platform to disseminate this information, right. Whether that's in books or scientific journals, um, because that's the way that information gets out. And one of the, I believe it was like one of the sports historians that I spoke with or or someone else um, in, in the sports science, who has been in the sports science field for a long time, she was telling me, yeah, there are a lot of incredible women scientists and researchers that have been involved in sports science, but they're not like the he- necessarily the head of the labs or if they talk about their findings or they talk about stuff like in meetings where you're not necessarily documenting those things right um and that affects who we pay attention to who's who we think of um you know so there there is a likelihood that that we've also lost a lot of information because of i guess the if you want to say like more like women, the way women kind of talk and disseminate information versus like the more formal meeting structure and and minutes and papers and stuff that, that go into, you know, the formal, um, confines of like sports science as a field, as a, like, as a research thing Institute. Um, but anyhow, back to your question, it, it was surprising to me, um, I mean, it was surprising and it wasn't right in the sense that, of course, men kind of given their bias, they're going to be looking at things as to why women can't do things because women's bodies are different from theirs. Mm -hmm. If the world and sports and science in particular is created in this uh mold of men if you will right if that if men are considered the standard then of course they're going to look at anything that's different from men as like what's wrong in a way right um so in in that sense it doesn't surprise me that it that it was women um who were the ones who were going out and saying no wait <laughs> that's not the case and let me prove this to you with actual science instead of just your your assumptions and biases. Right.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, one time, um, when I was in Scotland, I was at Sterling university doing a, their national training center was there. And I tried to be part of a a study where they were asking for elite runners. And they had put out like a time that was like, you know, the qualifying time for the study. And it was like fairly swift, but I was a professional athlete. So I went and they, they told me that they, that they weren't accepting women into the study. (laughs) because like our menstrual cycle complicated things, (laughs) you know? And and, like, because I was like, well, why didn't, first of all, I I surprised myself because all these years later, I'm like, why was I not more outraged by this? Like, even like I was, the guy was a feminist, (laughs) you know? And I still was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Our menstrual cycles are complicated. And then on the flip side, I was also a little bit outraged by the idea that they put this time out that they, they literally thought no women were going to come into the study. And that's like in our generation, you know, like that's only 25 years ago. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. I mean, like on the one hand, right, it does make sense in a way with science, just the way, again, that science is structured and the way that it's structured to find answers to these questions through experiments and through laboratory work, right? You do want to minimize as many confounding variables as possible so that you can try to get at, you know, a quote unquote, like true answer, if you will. Um, And yeah, you know, hormones do add noise to that, but, um, and that is a hundred percent, right. The, the answer that I get from a lot of researchers, when I ask them, like, why haven't we studied women to the same degree as men? And it is because of these, these fluctuating hormones. But at the same time, I feel like, you know, it's almost become an a blanket excuse or an easy way out, if you will, because you can study women and account for the fluctuating hormones, but it takes time. It takes more money. It takes more staff. It takes more planning. Um, And so, yeah, it's easier right, to do these studies without women.
0: Yeah. And it sort of makes sense that it's kind of changing now because Mm -hmm. as in order to have that kind of change, because you have this multi-layered exclusion, really, like women have not been part of sports history, have not been part of scientific history and all of those layers that now we're like, oh, wait, this is important. And we value that. Therefore we will study it. Yeah. Were there things, what surprised you the most when you were doing your research?
1: I think, so there's I guess two things. Um, one is more like kind of like nerdy wonky, if you will, but it is more like- on I love the nerdy wonky. <laughs> but it is more on the science side and like the methodology side, because like I say in the book, like I didn't always pay attention to it, right? I was like, why, why do I need to know? <laughs> you set up a study. I'm not a scientist. I'm not gonna go recreate this. But in looking at the history of how the sports science field kind of came up, it made me realize how that methodology what you know how that methodology was established from the beginning right um is what's then ultimately passed down through generations and it almost creates this blind spot that we're not even aware that we're excluding people because this is the way that it's always been done because you know i don't think that any scientist or any research institution is explicitly not wanting to study women, right? That's I don't I hope not. <laughs> like I don't right. I, I hope yeah. it's not that that explicit. But I think that because of the way that the systems were set up and passed down um that it it just became the way that we do things. And so you when you don't include women from the beginning, it's like you don't really even recognize that you're not including them as time goes on, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it totally makes sense. Um, Do you see those systems as changing, like in this moment in time?
1: I think so. So, I mean, when I think about it, so, you know, one of the, probably one of the more influential sports science laboratories was the Harvard Fatigue Lab, you know, which was founded back in the 1920s. Um, but a lot of the scientists that came out of that lab, you know, went on to become, become pretty important figures in the sports science field, right? They're kind of leading really interesting and um, innovative experiments. You know, we were learning a lot from their work. Um, and then these scientists went on to establish their own labs, right? And train their own scientists and their own students. And like I said, there's this trickle down effect. What I see now is because... There are more women being active. And because there are more women going into science and medicine who have grown up being active and athletic people that they want to know about all of these issues. They're like, wait, they're the ones who are now asking the questions, be like, why, wait, why aren't we doing this? And we need to know this. Um, and as they come into these positions of power and leadership positions where they can more um have a better chance, right? To dictate what those research questions are, um, kind of what policies might be put in place. I do think we're starting to see some more change in that realm. Endurance sports should be
0: accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month. And a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the App Store. You are not a template, and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule, how much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right. You get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. You literally have nothing to lose. For decades, running shoes have been researched... Tested and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruz, and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of headers at heddas.com and use the code feisty20 for 20% off. That's feisty20 at heddas.com and it will all be in the show notes. Yeah, you know, I've always in in my own sport and triathlon. There's always been a huge push for like female participation or more women mm. coming into the sport, and I feel like I've been banging this drum for a really long time. But like, like yes, we need more female participation in sport, but also we need women like all the way through up and yes. to, like you know from the leadership, coaches, sport science, like. All of those places, and then I feel like that's how you end up changing some of those
1: biases, like, like you just said, absolutely. And I think we see, at least from my opinion, I think we see something similar too with a lot of the exercise physiology research and the emphasis for women. Again, this is a huge generalization, but like it seems to be a lot about getting women active, right? getting them to exercise and, you know, for fitness or whatever it is. But then we kind of drop off and sell women short in terms of, okay, that's great. And like, there's so many benefits, right. To being active into exercising, but then how can we continue to help women stay involved in physical activity and sport? And that might mean everything from progressing up the ladder to become, you know, to perform better, you know, and kind of move up the ranks if you will. But it's also things like, well, how can we help them not get injured, not get burnt out, like maintain their love and joy of moving their bodies and exercising? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we make sure that they have gear so that they can not only go out and do the things that they love, but then progress in their sport, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, I see endless opportunity in this realm. <laughs> like if you, if
0: you see what I mean, there's like so much. I, there's so much, like from a, from the ty- types of businesses you could start that focus on women specific products to like all of the, all of the programs and science. Um, are you an athlete yourself?
1: Um, theoretically. <laughs> theoretically. I mean, I grew up, I grew up playing sports. Like yeah. I feel like every sport under the sun. Um, More recently I've, Focus more on like running and mm-hmm. swimming and surfing and skiing, um, and some yoga and stuff. So I that like
0: sounds like an athlete to me.
1: <laughs> dabble. I'm not. I'm not one to be like, oh, you know, I'm going out and racing all the time or anything like that. I think those days are behind me. But I Great. like being active.
0: Nice. Other things that you learned through the research pr- process that you are applying to your own like to your own activity.
1: Yeah, so I think one thing is and we talked a little bit about this before, you know before we started recording is the work around um kind of as I get older because I'm in my mid 40s now. Um my body 100% does not respond to at the same way as it did in my 20s and 30s. Um I feel like my endurance is, you know, kind of slipping. I'm for sure, feel like I'm, you know, can see muscle mass like deteriorating before my eyes and stuff like that. So I think for me, one of the biggest shifts is understanding that this is my body that's changed. Like my body literally is changing, right? And mm-hmm. so that means that how it how it adapts to training, how it feels when I'm exercising, is going to be different. And so that means that I need to adjust how I approach it rather than continuing to bang my head against the wall and keep trying to do more, 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 right? Because that's obviously not doing any service for my body as it is right now. So it is switching things up in terms of, you know, making sure that I am lifting weights and lifting heavier weights than, you know, than I may have in the past. Um it's trying to as much as you know, I love plotting around the park and like my like long, slow runs, like recognizing Mm -hmm. that maybe I need to be doing some other, you know, working in at least some like high intense or changing the intensity of that, Mm -hmm. um, from time to time, because like my, my body and my muscles need that stimulus in which it's not getting in other places now. Yeah. Um,
0: I was happy. This is what we, we talked about before the show. I was very happy to see, that you talked to Celine Yager, who hosts our um, "Hit Play, Not Pause" podcast and our Feisty Menopause, and she's really the leader of our Feisty Menopause community. Um, did you? How much did you know about? Sounds like you're having some symptoms of perimenopause. I'm I'm there too. How much did you know about perimenopause before you did this research?
1: Um, very little. <laughs> it's um, crazy, isn't it? <laughs> it's kind of bananas because we. I mean, I. I kind of think of it a little bit in the same way as um, kind of postpartum period. Like we don't talk about any of it. And I remember having my first kid and being like, what in God's name is going on? <laughs> like, why didn't anyone tell me any of this? Like, why didn't anyone give me a heads up that this is going to happen? And this is how my body's going to feel. And it's not all sunshine and flowers and, and you know, mm-hmm. smiley sleeping babies and stuff like that. And so I kind of feel like that's the same Approaching perimenopause, and especially because you know the symptoms are so all over the place for everyone, like it's not just hot flashes and you know, night sweats and and stuff, and you know, weight gain and stuff like that, but it, it literally feels like it could be anything under the sun, and so it's really confusing when your body starts to feel like something's off, something's different, it doesn't feel like myself anymore. Um, and you know, like as people who are active and who, as athletes, we are so attuned to how our bodies feel. And that can be so disorienting when it doesn't line up. Right. And you can't quite figure out why. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I also, you know, I know that exercise in my life partially functions as, um, like kind of like mood control. Yeah. You know? And like, it's kind of part of my basic, like I eat, I sleep, I exercise, <laughs> you know? And when I couldn't have the same intensity or when I was having started to have like symptoms of premenopause and I just wasn't able to like go hard, it affected, like everything started to spiral, you know? And I didn't, I don't even think I didn't, I've never heard that before. Right. Or I've never, like, I didn't really realize anything. I didn't know anything besides hot flashes um, and that your period stops before we started the feisty menopause brand two and a half years ago, which is really wild when you think about it. Um, and I love what you said to about um postpartum, about your family. I think it was something in the book about your like, your family kind of smiling and like <laughs> and not necessarily like telling you what was going to happen. And I felt the same way. Like, you know what? I just went through drama and nobody told me that was going to happen. And nobody now I'm recovering me. from it.
1: Yeah. It's crazy. Exactly. Well, yeah. and I mean, what you said too about just menopause, like the other thing that struck me is like how long this paramenopause period right. can be. I, I want to, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I, it's somewhere between, like it could potentially last between five and 10 years. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what does that even mean, right? Like we don't we don't recognize that this it, it's a normal part of our lives, right? But yet we're we don't we're not allowed to voice it and, you know, to share our concerns about it, to talk about what we're experiencing, um and just expect it to kind of get on with it and operate as if everything's normal. Yeah.
0: If you were okay, if you were to summarize maybe three or four points that would be like good take homes from your research that you think like all women should know um, based on where we're at currently with the sports science, what would you tell people?
1: Yeah. So I think um, one thing is that there, you know, 100% are physiological reasons, right, for why we feel the way we do, why we adapt to training or don't adapt to training. But we are not just our hormones or just our muscle mass or just our VO2 max or anything like that. Um, we are messy human beings that are living within a larger context around us. And so for me, this really hit home when I was doing research around for the injury chapter um, because I am so like I'm so prone to injury. I feel like <laughs> I'm constantly injured. I'm, you know, currently like nursing my third ACL tear, which is super fun. Wow. Um, But, but the, for me, it's always been that narrative that there's something wrong with my body and there's something wrong. It's not meant to do these sports or it's not meant to be active or I'm frail or fragile in some way. Um, But when I was doing this research is. Sure. As doctors and researchers are trying to understand injury risk and prevention, of course, they're going to be looking at factors right internal to a person's body that might put them at risk. So it's like genetics, it is some physiological or anatomical things, biomechanics, that type of thing. Um, But what I think we don't always give enough credence to is the external factors around that too. Mm -hmm. So one of the most interesting research that I came across was when um say so talking about ACL tear, since that is <laughs> so personal to me right now uh-huh. um you know the statistic is that two eight women are two to eight times more prone to an ACL wow. than men yeah. right and so the the reason often given is because well we have wider hips the and Q so angle cute, thing cute yeah angle right <laughs> yeah. and so that puts too much stress and then the other one is that you know um, with the hormonal fluctuations with the menstrual cycle at certain points in the cycle, the ligaments become more lax. So maybe, you know, you are potentially more prone to injury at that point. But when researchers looked at dancers, right, dancers are jumping and leaping and landing on one foot, um, just like soccer players and basketball players um, and, you know, other folks And yet there isn't that same disparity in knee injuries among dancers as there are in these other sports. And so they wondered why. So they did this experiment in which they looked at male and female dancers as well as male and female team sports athletes. They had them stand on like a tall box on one foot and then drop down and land on one foot. And then they watched... How they how they manage that, right? Like what kind of strategies they use to to support their landing. So with the ma- both groups of dancers, the so boys and girl, uh, the male and female dancers, and the male team sports athletes, they all use similar landing strategies when they land to minimize the 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 knee wobble at or the wobble at the hip and at the and at the knee, right? So that they are more stable when they landed. The f- female team sports players didn't do that. They There was a lot more instability at both the knee and the hip, like the knee fell in, which is, you know, one of the one of the red flags for knee injury. So, anyhow, it just begged the question of is it just our bodies? Or could it be that a lot of these dancers have been dancing since they were young, have been taught how to use their bodies and how to land safely? Could it be, you know, this? this idea that of early exposure to sport. Mm-hmm. And then in the same way, we often think of muscle mass as being, you know, a potential risk factor. So boys and men have more muscle mass. So, you know, that makes them more resilient to injury, but are girls and women being encouraged to go into the weight room and to lift in the same way, you know, again, at an earlier age, like at the high school level and, you know, even in, co- I know it happens more in college, but, you know, if you're thinking about the high school level, when, kids are growing so much. They're going through puberty. That's when the risk spikes. Mm-hmm. Um, are there other things in the environment that may be influencing how our bodies then perform in sport, if that makes sense? Totally. Uh, so that a long-winded answer, <laughs> but mm-hmm. that's definitely one thing. Cause like, I don't want people to think that, you know, yes, these factors are important and can contribute and can play a role, but they are. Are not the only thing that defines you. Right. And that multi-layered kind
0: of explanation for what would go into an ACL injury. It's a lot more empowering to think, okay, maybe with like, maybe with the right training or the right, that there's all yeah. these different factors. It's not just like the angle of my hips that I'm forever destined to
1: like, and ACL what can you, Yeah. Like what can you do about that? Right? right. Like you can't change that. And then similarly with like hormones, You can't, I mean, I guess theoretically you could try to like, you know, arrange your races or competitions around that. But if you are playing a team sport, how is that even, like, how does that even work, right? Like you can't, you can't do that. So it's given these factors, okay, then what are the other things that we can do around that Uh to help mitigate, you know, some of these potential risks, right? What can we do to give girls and women the support and the resources mm. they need so that, you know, they are capable of performing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny because now that we're talking about this, I've, i think I've had this thought in the back of my head that has not never risen to like consciousness where I read about like the Q angle, the higher likelihood, this is, this goes back years yeah. of like female athletes. And it's weird Cause I, even at the time I thought, that's weird. Like our physiology is such that our knees don't work as well. Like that just really doesn't make that much sense as like a historical adaptation, you know, like did women not need to be mobile? (laughs) Like it doesn't make any
1: sense. Yeah. And I think it goes back to this idea, right? That when you have, um, when the like the standard is based on one certain type of person, right, and the research is is um, focused on that specific population of people, it does skew our understanding of what's considered normal physiology, or you know what's appropriate for sports, even right. And so then, when you have something that does doesn't match that dominant view, you're always looking for. Um, the points of comparison is I guess one way to put it, right? The ways in which it's different, it doesn't match up um, and so if you're in that other group, you're always kind of put in this position of um kind of less than right like not how do you measure up to this this other thing, yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, you seem like someone who's fairly empathetic to like how we ended up where we are now historically in terms of the sports science and women's exclusion. But um, was there anything that made you angry as you were <laughs> researching?
1: Um it's funny that you say that because I also have a bunch of doctors in my family, my sister in particular. And so when I talk to her about this, her reaction is, it's not the doctor's fault. Like it's, you know, <laughs> right? She's like it's not our fault. We're trying to do our best. And I'm like, yes, I understand. So I feel like I, I overcorrect sometimes in that direction, but, but it is like trying to understand what is the environment in which we're working in, in terms of anger. I mean, honestly, I think the things that really made me mad were um, also the, the the arguments that have been brought up for why women aren't suited to do competitive sports or vigorous physical activity right so I mean you mentioned a little bit but you know things like well the menstrual cycle so if you do physical activity it's gonna sap all your vital energy and if you don't have this energy it's gonna like ruin your reproductive system and then oh my gosh you can't have babies um but using those reasons, for why women couldn't compete. And, you know, there are so many examples of it in which that bias comes out, but then women are blamed because of their bodies. So for example, um, there was a Danish swimmer, Greta Anderson, who, you know, was, I mean, she, I think, I think it was, she was swimming the hundred free or, you know, she was a freestylist and like, she was like the best in the world, Um, but she was supposed to get her period on like during one of the heats for during the Olympics. Mm -hmm. So the team doctor gave her an injection. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gave her an Mm -hmm. injection to like put off her period basically. But then she swam her heat. She was expected to win the gold, but she swam her heat halfway through sometime. She like essentially blacked out and like sunk to the bottom of the pool. (laughs) And, you know, this like Hungarian water polo player, like had to dive it, like saw her because no one else was paying attention saw her like dove in and like rescued her. But you know, but because of that, you know obviously she, she didn't get to finish her heat and she didn't get to go on to f- swim in the finals, but then the the team thought it was a liability, so then didn't put her either didn't put her in the relay or put her not anchoring the relay, like put her in like the second position or something like that. But she was like blamed for that because of her body. Whereas like, who knows what kind of medication, what what got injected into her. Yeah. But then, you know, so it's like things like that. And then even the fact that it wasn't until the 2014 Olympics that women were able to compete in the ski jump because they thought their uterus would burst because (laughs) of the impact of the landing, and I'm like, really? like it's <laughs> some of the it's just kind of
0: <laughs> sorry, it's, it's funny
1: <laughs> it's it's funny, but and then it's not surprising in so many ways, but it's also right like infuriating, like yeah, worlds. Do, do we live on, right? Yeah. I think sometimes I
0: laugh because otherwise I would cry. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like it's like it's funny, but it is, yeah, like that thing about um that belief that it would affect our re- like if we did sport, it would affect our reproductive system, that our uterus would literally fall out. Like that, the fact that like actually we believe that people believe that into like the 1960s and even 1970s, you'd hear that. That's that's like it's funny, you know, but like when you let it sink in oh my God. And then that was used as a reason to exclude us from a physical activity.
1: Absolutely. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's just surprise, not surprising, but like infuriating to me enraging, right. In terms of just how easily it is to discount women simply because our bodies are different from men.
0: Yeah, and you talked a little bit in your conclusion about like kind of the knock-on effect because sometimes we see sports science as something that's like happening at this really high level with elite athletes and doesn't affect like everyday people. But I think really it does. Like really the exclusion or now inclusion of women into sports science has that knock, like knock-on like knock effect to everyone. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that, um, you know, it is, we are, uh, I think traditionally, right. Like you said, sports science has been this realm of the elite performer and, you know, the Olympian and it's relevance um, really didn't apply to me, right. As a, as a normal amateur athlete. Um, But I think that especially now in this day and age with social media too, that we like, I think everyone uses professional athletes too, as their model for what they should be doing and, and, um, how they should be training. And there's a million, right? There's a million kind of problems with that in and of itself. Um, But I think that as we start to include more women and more diverse population of people into research, um, it really does help us, like I said, expand That notion of what's considered normal physiology, because right now that really is only based on half the population of the world. Um, It doesn't obviously include women, but it's also based on a population that lives in westernized countries for the most part. So I think that as we start to include more diverse participants and our understanding expands, then we can provide better on-ramps for people. Like I said, not only to into physical activity but to help them stay there because when you when you don't have research that reflects you or your lived experience you're left without appropriate or adequate guidance right in terms of nutrition and training injury prevention even clothing and gear um, and again this is that this affects all levels of sport um and if you don't have those things to support you, then you start to wonder well is this really for me like do i have even have a place here um who is sport and physical activity supposed to be for if they're not considering you know me or my lived experience um and that you know that 100% affects who does and does not then be active and be athletic and have these performance goals, right? If we talk about how we want sports to be more inclusive, how we, how sports is great for everyone, how physical activity and exercise is great for everyone, then what are we doing to make sure that we are supporting people at all levels of this? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I was also struck by, um, that it takes, is it 17 years for something that, you know, like for something that science finds to be accurate to sort of disseminate to down to like the average person.
1: Yeah, it's, it's wild. I mean, yeah, so it's, it's on average. And I don't believe that this is specific to sports science, but just on average, that it's takes about 17 years for, you know, something to be translated into clinical practice. And, you know, that's essentially, a grown, you know, a grown child, right? right. Like, um, and you know, and I think that that just highlights how frustrating science can be sometimes because it is so slow, and again, just the nature of which science is operates, um, and especially within medical settings, you need evidence base, uh, uh, like a robust evidence base, in order to then have guidelines that you feel are, you know, concrete and solid and you have the research to back it up. But in order to build that evidence base, it it takes time because these, you know, it's asking one question, validating that question, validating it again, and then asking the next, like, you know, half a step up question and then doing, you know, repeat, rinse and repeat over and over again. So it's no wonder that it takes so long. So it can be really frustrating for folks um, who are, you know, just want to know what to do. So like, I've been doing some of these, some events, um, early events for the book. And, you know, a lot of the questions I get is around kind of both menopause and, and older women who are like, what do I do? Like, I don't, like, I, you know, I have osteoporosis. I'm still really active. Like, I, you know, I love this, but I don't know what I should be doing or, you, or, you know, should be doing better or differently or whatever it is. And it's frustrating that you know, I can't say, Oh, you know, give them guidance or even like point them somewhere where they can get guidance. I think everyone's trying to do their best. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's hard. And I think, you know, I try to remind us what I'm like, you're literally at the leading edge of this. Like you are the people who are pushing this forward. You, like you're still doing all the things that you love. Um, but yeah, I, you know, in terms of something that's, science backed for that specific population. Yeah. There isn't anything.
0: Yeah. And it's crazy because it's an, especially with perimenopause menopause, but also even when we look at like the hashtag cycle syncing trend too, of like people coming out with like all this advice, that feels like that's where they're they're so sure, like based off of who knows what, that like, this is how it's supposed to be. This is what you should do. And the reason for that is because they're kind of capitalizing on that feeling that like, we now know as women that we've sort of been excluded and we're looking for answers and we're asking different questions. We don't have those answers yet. So it's sort of like, like you just said, it's like that willingness to go, okay, yes. Like we do know things we can do things like, read your book you know and find out what we do know but then also we're going to be an experiment of one
1: to absolutely extent. well and i think i mean to your point right it demonstrates like there is this hunger this recognition that we haven't been included and kind of outrage about that but then there's this hunger of of like well what then right like what can i do then um and i think that Yes, hundred percent. You see people kind of capitalizing on this, and you know, trying to um, use what what you know research is available out there right now to to kind of push push these ideas like cycle syncing. Um, but yeah, it's super frustrating. It's so hard. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it is. It is frustrating, and I understand why people want those answers. And at the same time, like you know, even looking back on my own um sports career I feel like I wish I had just got a bit more serious about learning about myself it's not even necessarily learning the science or the information but being able to go okay actually like you know like I know I'm someone who like in the late luteal phase I definitely have a couple days that are super flat like when I'm yeah I was training hard for an event like I could use that information to help um increase my training you know or decrease it at that time and increase it other times but I just you know I plowed through you know it was kind of like we d- didn't want to be seen as weak or mention something about our cycle so we just were like nah we can do anything <laughs> like, let's go
1: and I think yeah. that that's like right now there's there's such a you know desire for to have that one answer, that one solution. So it's like, if we haven't been studied all this time, then this has to be the reason, right? Why I'm, you know, I might be feeling flat, or I'm not achieving my goals, right? And so we're 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 almost looking at this one thing as the solution to all of our problems. Whereas I think you know what you said, and and something that um, I think is really important, and something else that I hope that people take from this is that we are so individual. And I think, and it's not that, you know, say your menstrual cycle phase is going to be the answer to any one thing, but it's the fact that your menstrual cycle is part of your physiology. It's part of you so that when you are thinking about your training and you're thinking, you know, if you're a coach, if you're thinking about how do you individualize something for your athlete, which, you know, I hope, Coaches are doing right, like they're not just giving them a blanket plan, but that's another thing that you just need to account for and consider, right? Um, Because, like you said, we we all have individual experiences of what our cycle might be, how we might feel during during different phases. I might feel super energetic during my late luteal phase, you know, as opposed to you, right? But so those are all factors that need to be accounted for. They're not going to be any one's, it's not going to be the solution, just like, yeah, you know, taking this one supplement is going to be the solution to all of your athletic problems.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was just thinking something there that I'm totally blanking on now. Um, But okay. What I wanted to ask you is what are you like coming out of all the work that you did? What are you most excited
1: about? I'm really just like honestly just excited for this book to be out in the world, you know, having worked on it for um about like about three years since I started first working on this like on the one hand, it's like proof I'm like, look, I really was working on something I wasn't lying <laughs> like <laughs> it does exist in the world um so I'm excited for that and and really just like I said, just to honestly get this in the hands of readers and, I'm very curious of what people's reactions and and feedback is going to be. Um, because I want this to be um, I want this to start conversations, right? That's that's really my hope for this book, is that it's a conversation starter that we start to think about things, you know, just maybe a little bit differently or consider other perspectives around this um and what that might mean. Um, because it, it is. Definitely not intended to be, you know, a be all end all prescriptive plan of any sort. Um, it really is trying to disentangle what we know, what we don't know, what that might mean, where we can go from here, what we might be able to do better. I um, mean, of course, like everyone's individual experience is going gonna, is gonna to differ in that, but I, that's my hope is that it starts to start some conversations and potentially that it reflects some different girls and women's experiences as well that they may not have heard in other places. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: And I remembered what I remembered when I was previously going to mention, which is, which is, we just, uh, we recently launched a course called fueled and it's about, it's essentially like about fueling for female athletes and active women. Um, but we took like a multidisciplinary approach and the process, like, so essentially the first couple modules deal with, um, so like the history of fueling like diet culture and that stuff, as well as like um, mental health things around disordered eating. And then we talk about like exercise physiology for a couple of modules and then a couple specifically on nutrition and in my mind when we were planning this i was like this is great we'll do this multidisciplinary approach this is what the world needs you know <laughs> and i still believe that to some extent but like as we've gone through the process it's like it really highlighted oh like there's a lot of dots that aren't connected so we we were trying to like think through the exercise physiology chapters like connect Some of the things you were saying about sex differences or life stages or it's exercise specific like energy needs connected to nutrition specific to female athletes. And it was like, oh, like that's not that work isn't hasn't been done Like there's not, there's like, I can see the two dots, but like no one's come along and connected them. right? And then like, as a, you know, and, and as a company, like we're trying to give good information, not just like my assumptions based on like, so it's like just that hope that like, you know, you put that out into the world and that women themselves will. And that I think I see that a lot with like your book is that people will actually go, oh, okay. This is like, this is actually what we know and the ground that we're standing on right now. And like how we move forward might just be like that. It's empowering. It's like, okay, now I know this and I know this and this, and like, how do I connect that for myself?
1: Yeah. I mean, cause definitely one of my fears was, is that so this was gonna be really depressing. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, look at all these bad, you know, bad things that are happening and reasons why we aren't included. Um, but yeah, but it it is my hope that, you know, it it does kind of leave leave on a, a more like positive or hopeful kind of note about the things that 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 are ch- starting to change that we can still work on. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I know I'm I'm definitely excited to see what happens. I feel like new studies are coming out all the time. Um, and the next, you know, few years or even a few decades are going to be amazing, I think, for women's sports and this topic.
1: Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's it's exciting to see all the momentum. At some point during the research or during writing this, I had to like put blinders on mm-hmm. so that like I stopped looking at new research because I'm like, I can't, <laughs> like, I right. can't include all, any more studies. I can't like look at you know anything else at some point so
0: yeah and it's happening fast now so yeah that is the good news
1: yeah absolutely
0: great well christine where can we buy the book where should we buy the book
1: um yeah so the book is out may 16th it's available as in hardcover as an ebook as an audiobook it's available anywhere books are sold obviously be great you know to support your local indie bookstore um Mm -hmm. and then yeah i'm on social media at cyU888 on Instagram and Twitter um obviously I picked my handle before I had any thoughts about branding and- and like what <laughs> I probably should have as a handle but that's a, another story um but yes amazing well thank
0: you so much thanks for the work that you've done and all the time you spent kind of taking the temperature and where we're at for women and um, science, really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, no, thank you for having me. This is a fun conversation.
0: Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high-quality protein, like eggs or whey, and by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. they stay in place when you are moving the hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat so they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions no matter what sport you do tofosi has shades for you whether you love tennis fishing pickleball running cycling or just hanging out on the beach they are super reasonably priced which i love so i can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to TafosiOptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in feisty media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at TafosiOptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you.